Hey, Chuck. Hey, Pamster. What's up? Not a whole lot. Just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Are you ready to share all of our movie experiences? Because we've had a few experiences this week in movies. Uh, I guess I guess we have. And you know what? I, I'm this July has really shaped up to be an interesting month. I think the most interesting month we've had. Kind of crazy. Uh, that doesn't usually happen in July, you know? No, and it's it's because uh, and it's it's really not much as far as what. Uh, is released to theaters, but the stuff that's uh, independent that you find on streaming or video on demand. You know, last week we we had a couple, uh, not okay, and uh, but Vengeance was in theater, but it's an independent film. This week we got a couple. Next week we got a couple. So again, this is what gets me excited about doing this: is talking about you know movies that surprise us, movies that are intelligent. Uh, so yeah, but I want to start with a piece of very interesting news out of Hollywood. Cool! I can't wait to hear what is that. Yeah. Now I know that you are a superhero movie aficionado. I know everything and can do a flow chart with my eyes closed on DC and what's the other one? Marvel. Marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you got your fingers on the pulse. Got it. Got it. What's up? Something happened yesterday at Warner Brothers that people in the industry are calling unprecedented. They made a movie, a Batgirl movie. Oh, I saw this actually. Yeah, and they, the original budget was $75 million. It is rumored that it went over budget by not to 90 or $100 million. The film was supposed to debut on HBO Max. This was going to be the first of a series of superhero movies that they were going to shuffle off of um, just HBO Max, not theaters, not as big of budgets, not the major heroes, but this was going to be something that they would build on, much like Marvel has done with their series on Disney. And it was announced yesterday, the film has been shot, most of the special effects have been done, it has been canceled. They are not releasing this film in theaters, they are not releasing this film on HBO Max, and there are conflicting reports as to why this decision was made. But this strikes me as absolutely insane. It, it is. And it's that, that young girl that we interviewed from In the Heights that was starring as Catwoman, right? Leslie Grace, yes. Yes. Leslie Grace, yeah. And, and what's, your, what's your theory on this, Chuck? I, I don't, well, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that um, there was a regime change at Warner's between the time the film went in production and today. David Zasloff is the new uh, head of Warners. And this was done uh, after they merged with Discovery. And it's interesting because I think he's just trying to wipe the slate clean because also certain movies that Warner Brothers had uh, on HBO Max that were done just before he came in, like Moonshot, uh, American Pickle, The Witches, those have all been taken down off of HBO Max as well, as of yesterday. So it's almost as if he wants to just erase the recent past and start fresh. This still doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, some people have said that uh, they want to maybe just take the tax break on this film because they can write this off. They also canceled a Scooby-Doo film that they were making, which doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, the high interest of this film you can't tell me that if you put it out in the theaters, it wouldn't make back its cost. Yes, they said that they would have to maybe spend another 25 million to promote it. If the budget went over to 100 million, you throw that on 125, you're telling me a Batgirl movie with Michael Keaton returning as Batman in certain scenes as well wouldn't make that money back. This doesn't make any sense. 
No, it, it really doesn't. And on the emotional side of things, I feel so bad for this young woman. Oh, can you imagine, you know, you get your start. I mean, her start was in the Heights. She didn't have. And that movie whole, didn't do as well as it should have. No, very, very true. But what a talent. And then to mm -hmm. hear that she was cast in the main role and then to find out that all your hard work and efforts and your excitement are just, you know, you like the, the, it, the balloon wasn't just popped. It was shattered. You know, that's yeah, just this would, this would emotionally difficult. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there are other reports that say that some people have seen it and they use the word irredeemable as far as the quality of the film, which I also have a hard time thinking of as well. You can't tell me that people weren't looking at footage as they were making this, making yeah. sure everything was in place. And all of a sudden you, you almost completed and it's, and, it's, and it's crap. I mean, yeah, bad movies get made, but irredeemable seems to be. It's kind of harsh. Even, that's an extreme even, even for a critic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, even for a critic, and this was an executive or someone at the studio. So I'm quite sure that there's somebody at the Hollywood Reporter and somebody at the Variety uh, magazine. As we speak, digging into this, I know we don't have the whole story. And I'm very intrigued uh, to see how this plays out, because obviously this story is not done yet. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll keep everyone um, updated on our Facebook page as we hear things. And mm -hmm. if nothing, then hopefully we'll know something by next week when we record this podcast. Um, but we do have a few things opening in theaters and uh, as well as streaming. I think I am just yes. not on my game today, Chuck. Um, we've got Easter Sunday. But that's funny because you look so well put together. Don't I though? Yeah. So, I mean, that's a, uh, it's just odd that you, you know, are stumbling because physically, I mean, you're, you know, Top notch. Which red carpet are you headed to tonight? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. This is this. Chuck is referring to my no makeup, sweaty hair, and looking pretty like I, I've been out out in the woods for about a day or two. You don't need makeup. I don't know why you bother. <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine why. <laughs> so red carpet ready, um, but yeah, it's just been kind of a busy day, and uh, um, we did have an interview yesterday. Well, Joe, you had an interview. I had an interview. Yes, we unfortunately yeah. had a technical technological glitch, much like my speech right there, and um, Chuck's audio did not work. So it was kind of. Was kind of I mean, your, I, your dream come true. No, <laughs> right, right. Let's shut Chuck up. Actually, yeah. I, had, I had the whole thing planned you, out. You with slip the, the guy twenty bucks not to hit the <laughs> button. Right. I mean, what, what happened? Right. <laughs> Um, where I, I started off the interview and asked a question. And then as Chuck and I always do, we take turns back and forth. And I stopped to allow Chuck to speak. And I continued to not talk. And Joe Coy, who it, we were interviewing for Easter Sunday, he's sitting there with a smile on his face, looking yeah. like, what the hell's going on yeah. here, people? <laughs> The, the then, wonders, the wonders of Zoom. Gotta love. It. And I'm looking at Chuck, and you're just shaking your head. I'm like, okay, looks like we got a tech problem, so we'll keep going. So why don't you then talk about Easter Sunday then, because that's what we were interviewing him for. Let's let's do that. This is about a Filipino man, a comedian. He plays Joe Valencia, Joe Coy, who I'm sure most of you listening to this podcast know his stand-up comedy. He, um, he's been on anything and everything. And I believe he's one of the main people with Ch Chelsea Handler, both yes. personally, as well as on her show. Um, and he plays a, a, a dad who um, I believe is divorced and he um, brings his son 
who is half Filipino and half American to his mother's house, to, jo to Joe's house for Easter Sunday. Well, the whole family gets together and he really doesn't want to go. He's up for this big part and he doesn't really want to be at mom's on Easter Sunday because uh, mom and, and his aunt is are having some kind of a tiff. They don't know what it's about. It's always all this drama and he just doesn't want to get involved in it. But as mother's guilt is very effective, he ends up taking his son on the four or five hour drive down to, do you remember the name of the town? Daly City, I think it's called. I yes. guess it must be a very Filipino area. Yeah, um, yeah. apparently it's outside of San Francisco. Okay. And um, they have one of the most eventful Easter Sundays one could possibly imagine, filled with crime and, and a little bit of violence and a little bit of, of thriller and mystery as Joe comes to term with, terms with who he is and his son finds out who he really is and how, how this family, this dysfunctional yet loving family, much like everybody else's family, can figure out how to make things work. Um, it is definitely a comedy. There's a lot of over-the-top um, issues and, and events that occur. Um, and while it's focused around uh, the Filipino culture, it's really a story about family and love and, and how important family truly is and those, 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 the bond that they have with one another. Um, this is just crazy good fun. And I had a great time with it. Um, Chuck, before you weigh in on this, I'm gonna go ahead and play a little clip from the interview. Let's talk about guilt. There's a lot yes. of mama guilt here. And can you talk about that? Because I think maybe there's a difference between a first generation um, American versus maybe someone who's been here a little while longer, or maybe you can even talk about that creepy baby Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, let me talk about baby Jesus real quick. Uh, when I watched Talladega Nights and Will Ferrell said, I, I like to pray to baby Jesus, <laughs> everyone was laughing at the joke, but I was like, hey, we pray to baby Jesus. That's a real thing. So uh, when, when I heard that, I was like, I got to put that in a movie. When I get a movie, I'm going to put baby Jesus in that movie. So people need to see this. All right. So obviously a fun guy to talk with. And Chuck, even though you didn't get your questions in there, you did get your questions in there. Everybody can see the full interview on WCIA, CI Living TV. Um, I did ask a couple of your questions. And he yes, I know them. you did. Yeah. So tell me what you thought of the movie. Uh, Mr. Coy, it, uh, from my, you know, watching you and watching him in silence, he seems like a very, very nice man. Uh, I didn't laugh once. <gasps> I did not laugh once. I thought this was the most, the silliest, nonsensical, flat thing I've seen in a long, long time. Did oh, not laugh God. once. Yeah, just like really, this is this is what you got. So, I I, I mean, come on, it, it was just, it's outlandish, but not enough. It's just yeah, I I, don't know. I didn't like it. Okay, I didn't like it. I I don't you know, and this is the type of movie that if you don't like, it's like you you know you're beating a puppy up with a baseball bat, you know, because oh, you know, you know, you seem like a bad guy. How can you not like this? But I just it just didn't hit me in the funny bone or in the heart or or anything. 
Right. You know, I, I think it's it's kind of interesting. We we typically do disagree on primarily comedies. I don't know if you've noticed that. Yeah, um, I have a sense of humor and you don't. Yeah, I know. Right. I that's that. not what I was yeah. thinking. We have oh, okay. a yeah. different sense of humor. Typically, there, there are some, I think our dark comedy is definitely similar. But right. I think just regular straight. This is a silly movie. And to it me, is. I was in the mood for this. And there was a movie a couple of weeks ago. What is that one? Mrs. Smith. Goes Mrs. Harris. To, Mrs. Harris, Mrs. Smith, yes. whatever it was. I just wasn't in the right mood for that, I think. And I think I was in the right mood for something just farcical. Hardly farcical. But, you know, Gene Siskel once said in an interview I read, he said that he didn't think that movies revolving around humor or sex should be reviewed because they are so subjective. I mean, sure. what do you find funny? Leaves me cold, vice versa. Also, right, right. sexual nature, too, what might appeal to me, won't appeal. So, I mean, it's incredibly subjective. And I always thought that was a kind of an insightful little tidbit from him. Uh, so I guess anytime movies of that nature are reviewed, you should always just kind of take it with a grain of salt. Or like I've said to people, you know, you find a critic that you read or listen to consistently. And when you realize that your taste kind of matches up with theirs, well, then you listen to them, especially with movies about that. Well, I, I think that's true about most movies, to be honest with you. Anything that is so subjective like this, then you do find a voice that you seem to agree with most of the time. I'm curious, with Siskel and Ebert, who did you typically gravitate toward? Like, oh, if he liked it, I'm going to like it. Um, I always thought Siskel was a little bit more harsh Okay. Uh, towards, towards films. Uh, but then conversely, there were times when Ebert, you know, let certain movies off the hook that you would see and you're like, really? Really? You like this? Uh, so, yeah, it was always kind of a crapshoot with them. But I tell you, I think the thing that um, when I really listened to them was when you could tell that uh, either one of them was um, passionate about okay. it. You could tell that they were, you know, best thing I've seen in a long time, passionate, you know, very emphatic in their review. Then you really pay attention. And even if it was maybe out of my wheelhouse, give it a shot. Okay. And I hope that we convey the same thing. I hope so too. Um, there was one critic in Chicago. I think he just recently passed away. Michael Wilmington. Yes. And yes. With the knew, Tribune. Yes. I knew that if he liked a movie, I wouldn't and vice versa. I had right. polar opposite taste as he did. Well, that's what my uh, father-in-law says about me. If you like it, I know I'm not going to. I'm like, there you go. Sorry. Not every oh movie can not, not every movie can be Smokey and the Bandit, John. I'm sorry. <laughs> so yeah, that's the way it is. <laughs> so so do I need to edit that out? Or no, 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 nobody's, no, they're not yeah. gonna listen to it, right? <laughs> no, she doesn't, you know she doesn't listen to anything I say. <laughs> and he won't either. So all right, all right. It's staying in there, people. All right. You, you heard all the candid talk here. <laughs> oh that's nothing. <laughs> All right, so what else we have going on this week, Chuckster? Uh, we have Bullet Train. Oh, let's chat and I, about that. You and I saw last night uh, the Brad Pitt and quite a few other people, uh, people. All, all playing assassins. They're on this bullet train. Uh, it starts in Tokyo, ends up in Kyoto. Apparently, it's a long trip because, boy, this movie. Whew, it's it's quite a trip. Uh, and they're all after a briefcase. I mean, basically, that's the that's the basic premise of this. They're all after this briefcase for a wide variety of reasons. Uh, it's it's really a simple story, 
But it's made more complicated by a couple of different things. Director David Leach, uh, he came to prominence with Deadpool 2. He just, he, they spend an awful lot of time filling in backstories of every one of these characters. Um, you've got um, two, two uh, assassins who work together, Aaron Taylor Johnson. Who's the other guy's name? You like him. I, I, he, but Brian Tyree. Uh, yes, I, I like him a yeah. lot. Yeah, they, they have their backstory. Then you have uh, Joey King, who's ironically named Prince, and she's got her backstory, and we got to get into that. Uh, and then there are a few other people. And Michael Shannon pops up. I forgot right. he was even in the film. Uh, it takes so long for him to pop up. And they're all after this briefcase. And yeah, there's a lot of fights on this train. This is a roomy train. Oh my I don't God. It's, I mean, the fights they get into, I mean, this, this, it's not like any train I've been on to with the whirling and the kicking and the jumping that goes on. I mean, this, it's pretty incredible. I'd, I'd like to take a ride on this train, quite frankly. Quite frankly. I, I, I would too. You know, it's interesting. You you talked about the time that it took, and this was, it was only two hours and six minutes. Yeah. I thought it was longer than that. It felt Me so too. much longer. Guess how long it takes to go from Tokyo to Kyoto on the bullet train? I have no two idea. Two hours and ten minutes. It was <laughs> only four minutes longer than the film. <laughs> so, in a sense, it was in real time. It was in total real time. <laughs> You know what's funny about this film? Uh, and I'm on the fence about it. I liked it a bit more than I thought I would, but not enough to recommend. Right. I thought that Brad Pitt was miscast. Who would you have cast in that role? There is a guy who you like a lot, who has a cameo late in the film. Oh, yeah. He would have been great. He's the part. Yeah. He, he's the guy. Yeah. And you switch those roles. Pitt takes his part, and yeah. that guy yeah. takes it. Pitt's part. You have a better movie. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you know, I have some problems with him because I say he does the same thing all the time, but his sensibility in that role would have been perfect. Absolutely. Um, I would agree with you. We're not going to give it away as to who that cameo was. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that I was expecting so much more because I had a lot more fun than you did with The Lost City with yes. Channing Tatum and Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock. And Brad Pitt and Sandra Bullock are touted as being a part of this movie. And yes, they are. But Sandra Bullock is just a voice. Mm -hmm. We don't really get to see her until the very end. And so there isn't that dynamic. And then there is a, a cameo. Should I say who the yeah, other Yeah, this one is? you can give away. Is that okay? All right. Yeah. So Channing Tatum is in it. And what, a, what an odd role that was. That was, and that wasn't, that just didn't, that just didn't fly with me. It just, it seemed awkward from him and he's good at awkward but it's not it wasn't right it wasn't the right kind of awkward no it, it yeah, I, have, I have a feeling they were doing the lost city moved into this right away and tatum must have done him a favor maybe which is fine yeah you know. and, and i think it could have been much much more but i would totally agree with you with brad pitt he tried to make it work but that that comic timing and the effort and and just the the nuances that it takes to make comedy the physicality of comedy and the timing of comedy work. He just, he just didn't have it. Now, is it that he didn't have it or is it director David Leach didn't have it? I don't know uh, what that goes. I, I don't know. I think that Leach knows what he's doing. I'm not a fan of the Deadpool films, but I understand how they work. Right. And I understand the appeal of them. Um, you know, I, I knew I was in trouble because Pitt's a very natural actor. Mm -hmm. And you could actually see him working in this. Yeah. See him working. And it's like, oh, we're in trouble here. Yeah. And I think he knows it too. And I like the guy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I really like him. 
but I just, this just was not, uh, I just don't think this was suited for him. Yeah, I think, I think it went off the rails pretty quickly. And I think they had so many characters and yes, it was based on a book and maybe it was a much more interesting book, but um, I just, I just couldn't get behind each of the characters and how, yes, they are intertwined and you learn how at the end. Um, but I just didn't care by the end. Well, you, <laughs> you, know, know? You, you would maybe care and it would maybe be intriguing if they had gotten to it sooner. Yes. We're yeah, exhausted they got, they by way the way too long. They did. They did. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's funny. I was looking back at uh, Pitt's filmography as I was writing my review for this. You realize he turns 60 next year? 60. Good. Looking pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, I, I couldn't believe. It. And then I, he's a guy I think we've taken for granted. I mean, he's had a 30 year career. Yeah. Yeah. 30 years. Yeah, I remember uh, first seeing him in A River Runs Through It, and I thought, oh, my God, this is Robert Redford's son. Completely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Completely. And you look back, and he has been in some major films. His film production company, Plan B, I mean, they do yes. some good things. I mean, he has two Oscars, the winning one for uh, Once Upon a Time and then as producer for 12 Years a Slave. I don't think people realize how what a reach he has as far as production is concerned, too. But uh, I don't know. I just thought Bullet Train was, was a misstep for him. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think he his plan B productions are pretty outstanding. I know some of the books that I have read, I have a friend who I call if I find a book that I think would be a good movie. And he's like, nope, plan B already optioned it. <laughs> <laughs> so the, there goes the, my million. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, The Big Short was another film that he produced. Oh, is it really? Okay. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Interesting stuff. Interesting guy. Yeah. So I would skip this one. It's just it's a slog. It's a slog. Yeah. yeah. What else do we have, Chuck? We've got one more. A movie right? that, I think there's a movie that you're in denial about because I asked you to watch it again. Okay. And I don't think you did. Uh, Resurrection. Okay. Uh, you know what? I tried to, but my link expired. Your link expired. Okay. It did. It did. Right. And, and I have to, I believe that there is, all right, you go ahead and explain to everybody what Resurrection is. And I'll tell you what my issue is, although I don't want to give anything away. So it's going to be very vague. Um. This is a difficult film. There's no question. This is a difficult film. Uh, Rebecca Hall stars as a woman named Margaret, and uh, she's got it together. I mean, uh, almost to the point. Of, well, actually, to the point of being obsessive. I mean, if there's a a ring left on a table because of a glass, she wipes it up. If something's a little bit off kilter on her desk or whatever, she puts it in place. And well, you know, there are people like that, but. You can tell she's pretty tightly wound. Uh, she's got a good job. She's a corporate executive. I'm not sure what she does there. It's not important. But she's got it together. Until she goes to a business conference. And at a business conference, she runs into or sees across the room someone that she knew a long, long time ago. Someone that she never thought she would see again. And this gentleman, I believe his name is Mike. I'm going to look it up just to make sure. Is played by Tim Roth. Yes, now, yes. as we know, uh, Tim Roth is a creepy guy. Uh, there's no question about that. And this role uh, is tailor-made for him. No, David, his name is David. Uh, Margaret thinks that maybe it was just a coincidence, no big thing. She tries to put it behind her, but then she looks out and there's David the next day sitting in a park across from where she works. And she knows that there's something up because this guy is supposed to be long in her past, forgotten, Moving on and him popping up is not a coincidence. And in fact, when she does confront him, 
yes, he wants something from her. Um, this movie, and, and I, I hesitate to give away much more. You should tell me whether I can, because this is an odd film. But what this film is about is emotional and psychological abuse. Yes, yeah. This man likes to control people, manipulate people. That's how he gets off. There's something missing within him. And this is how he fills that gap by manipulating and controlling people, masking it as he's doing you a favor in making you do these certain acts. Uh, Margaret ends up uh, fearing for her daughter's life because he, she feels as though he, she may be harmed by this guy. And she unravels and unravels and unravels. And I have to say, I, I think the thing that kept me hooked on this thing, and I'm still wrestling with the end. Okay, that's, that, that's where I have the issue. Yeah, and I can understand that. I understand that completely. Okay. Um, but Rebecca Hall, my God, my God, what a performance. She has, I, you know, I make a list of best scenes of the year. She has a seven minute monologue here in which she tells us the background uh, between her and David. And it is just a galvanizing moment. I found myself holding my breath, leaning forward uh, towards the screen. And it's not a big histrionic type thing. It's very subdued, but incredibly powerful. And she had me hooked. And because of her performance, I was able to get through or get over the problems in the script or okay. the ambiguity in the script. I mean, this is not a perfect movie and it doesn't give you all the answers you want, but I don't think that's the point. I, I think the point is that, you know, there are people in this world who are damaged. They take that out on other people. And I think there are people who as victims allow themselves to be victims because they feel as though they are their self-esteem is so low that they feel as though that is what they deserve. At least that's what I took away from this. It's a, well, I think that's their comfort zone. Yeah. You know, and, and, and some of the abusive behaviors that come back into her, her life makes her submissive and comfortable, mm -hmm. um, which was very disturbing. I did have issues with the script and I absolutely had an issue with the ending. Um, those holes in that script um, her performance, while amazing, couldn't make up for those holes for me. It psychologically took me out and I questioned what she was doing and why. I, I sometimes, I, I, as I was going through this, I was wondering if perhaps we were seeing this from her point of view and those holes in the script were there purposely. Elements of denial that she did not want to deal with. Uh, behaviors that you do that outsiders would view as inexplicable. Um, maybe I'm giving the script too much credit or the filmmaker too much credit, but it just seemed to me to be so smartly put together, so passionately put together that I was willing to give it maybe a little bit more leeway than I should. Uh, it says something that I'm still thinking about this two weeks after I saw it. Right. When, you know, most stuff I forget about from the time it takes me to walk from the theater to my car. <laughs> Uh, so, so there's something to be said about that. Okay. All right. Um, I, that's, that's on uh, BOD, Resurrection. Okay. Rebecca Hall is always great in everything yes. that she does. She takes a lot of chances and she puts all of her heart and soul into any role that she plays, which is very true in this as well. You interviewed um, her not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for Passing. For passing. Yeah. Yep. 
Um, you know, uh, one of the things I think that I really want to say about this is this this sets the tone in the very beginning for a psychological horror film. Mm -hmm. yes. we, and, and there's a question as to whether or not this is all in Rebecca's head. I mean, Margaret's head. Right. Is, is this just a mind game from some some past experience? Is she a little psychotic? We don't know because her first meeting with David is David denying that he knows her. And so we're thinking, okay, this, this woman is loony and she's losing it. And her daughter is going to suffer the consequences of her inabilities. But and, we how does it, that and how does the fact that the daughter is leaving for college play into this as well? Right. As far as mom's reaction to what's going on. I mean, is this her, I mean, I mean, because she uses this as an excuse to hold her, uh, hold the daughter closer, right. to, to, to restrict her movement, to watch over her a little bit more. I mean, I couldn't help but think that that has to play some part into, into what she's doing. Right. And, and that could very well be, and that could have been maybe a smarter way um to end the film that maybe i would right. have been a little bit more okay with and and yeah there were just too many too many extraneous details that never got answered and some things and that that were never addressed that took me out of the moment um the tone was there which was amazing david roth or tim roth did a great job david roth is somebody different right um yeah. <laughs> and uh, rebecca hall and the, and the young girl grace kaufman who plays abby yeah. did a fine job as well just and the, the writer director here is a guy by the name of a uh andrew simmons who I had never heard of before. He had done three shorts and a feature film that I had never heard of some 10 years ago. So yeah. kind of from out of the blue. Yeah, I, I think he's got a, a very bright future ahead of him um, to be able to pull something like this off. This premiered at Sundance and I did see it through Sundance many, many months ago now. Yeah, um, I, you know, and, and this, I, we say this, but this is one that I would love for people who are listening to check out. Like I said, it's on video on demand. And, and give us some feedback. Again, my email is chuckkoblinski at gmail.com. Uh, this is the type of movie you want to discuss. Awesome. Awesome. Definitely some psychological issues. I'd love to hear. Kristen, you are my psychologist, social worker woman. <laughs> I would love to hear if you want to be on the clock and using your, your work skills. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this film, as well as anyone else in the field of psychology. Yes. Uh, what else do we have? Is that about it for this week? That's opening locally. I know. You know what? I used you, Dad. Um, that's, we, uh, that's next week. But you saw a movie that I did not see that's premiering on Amazon. Uh, the one about the cave uh, with the kids being rescued with uh, Viggo Mortensen and Colin Farrell. That's right. And Thirteen Lives is the name lives. of that one. And that is directed by Ron, Ron Howard. Howard. And yeah. if Ron Howard is in something in any way, especially as director, because one of my all-time favorite movies and always will be is Rush um, mm -hmm. with Chris, Chris Hemsworth, um, I'm going to see it. So Ron Howard um, is directing a movie about these, these 13 boys, actually 12 boys and a soccer coach who in, um, I believe it's in Thailand, are stuck in a cave and it's like a slot canyon kind of experience when a monsoon hits earlier than it should for the season and it floods the cave and they the town um tries to rescue these these 13 lives these 12 boys and their coach 
Um, it is a harrowing experience as the world comes together. It is based on a true story. I, I hadn't heard of this. I was under really? a rock, under a rock. You must have been on vacation or something, because I remember following this on the news as it was happening. They were giving updates and this, that, and, and you know they were about to get them, and then they ran into a problem. Yeah, with, uh, problem getting to the thing. Problem. Oh, yeah, this had the world on, on edge. Well, it, it was for a- you. And they, I know, right? I was, I was out of reality, shocker. Um, but they had a, 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 a lot of different people from all over the world. And three yes. of those people, um, Viggo Mortensen plays Rick Stanton, Colin Farrell plays John. And the two of them are these expert cave diver rescue people. Um, and then we have Joel Edgerton playing Harry, Dr. Harry Harris. And um, he's also a a search and rescue diver, but he's also a medical, he's an anesthesiologist. Um, And these three men are pivotal in making this experience have a happy ending. Um, But oh my God, I, I loved how Ron Howard put this together because we saw what was happening outside of the cave. We knew when these kids took their bikes and didn't go to the party, they didn't listen to mom and dad and come straight home after practice. We knew they were going to get trapped in this cave because we damn know the damn, damn kids, kids not listening to mom and dad. And um, so we saw the next, I guess, week, week and a half, however long it was before they reached the boys after it was like a mile and a half into the cave that they finally found them. Um, but we experienced everything that the parents were experiencing, that the news and the, and the politics that enter into this, yeah. because, yeah. you know, there's the governor of the state and then there's the, the townspeople and the mayor and how people take falls for different things. And if this yeah. goes sideways, who's taking the fall for this one? And um, the conversations between uh, Rick and John Vigo and, and Colin, um, their expertise and what they know is going to happen. Oh my God, I was, I was there. I was holding my breath as they were going <laughs> into that cave and scuba diving. Scuba diving is something that I cannot do. Right. It is a claustrophobic feel to the film, which is, it is, it is an immersive experience. If you want to see this, do not wait to see it on your home screen. Go to the theater and be immersed in it and know what these people did. Ron Howard is an extraordinary filmmaker and he takes us there. And it is a beautifully told story. Colin Farrell, amazing. Viggo Mortensen, incredible. Joel Edgerton. I mean, the whole crew is just absolutely incredible. And if you can't find this in theaters, it starts on uh, Amazon Prime on August 5th, Friday. Oh, it does. Okay, yes. well, see it. hopefully you have a home theater that can really immerse you in the experience as well. Turn off all the lights, put your phone away and immerse yourself in this. Hold your breath. It's a long right. ride. <laughs> so a big week. And uh, you know we'll have more to talk about next week. A film I really loved, Emily the Criminal. Uh, a movie you have seen that I haven't seen yet, but will. Uh, what is it? I love you, Dad. Or I love you, Dad. Love you, Dad. With Pat no, I Oswald. love my dad. I love my dad. I love my dad with Pat Oswald. Uh, and I'm sure there's a couple other things too that we'll kick around as well. All right, and that does it for another episode of Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. Check out our Facebook page. Follow us. Subscribe. We don't overload you with stuff. We just send you our our contests as well as our podcasts. <laughs> And, and, and do the lesson that you learned in kindergarten with the podcast. Share. Share. <laughs> Share. <laughs>
Good job, Doc. The teacher comes out. That's me. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.